0: Okay. Hello, everyone. Um, welcome to Wine women Words. I'm sorry. We're a little late. Uh, kind of sleeping <laughs> beauty. <baby. laughs> um, usually, I uh, set an alarm if I feel like I'm about to take a nap before a show, and um, my nap totally snuck up on me today. <laughs> I like, got uh, Phone call from Diana and a text message saying, "Are you awake?" And I definitely was not.
1: <laughs> I forgot to plug in my my uh, mic. Hold on one second. I was so busy trying to wake up Sleeping Beauty here, I completely forgot.
0: I know. Ugh, I'm so annoying. <laughs>
1: That's your you new nickname now, Sleeping Beauty.
0: <laughs> we never. Um. I um. I was telling. Diana, before we went live, that I always, all uh, right. The earlier tonight, I was thinking, what would happen if I actually slept like straight through an episode? And I guess, um,
1: I guess we found out. The universe I was is like, this is listen. what happens. <laughs> okay, can you hear me? All right. I can hear you. Fantastic.
0: So I'm sorry if I do a lot of this tonight. <laughs>
1: Just drink more wine, honey. you will be all right. <laughs> by the way, what are you drinking tonight?
0: Mm. I am drinking a three-dollar bottle of wine that I found on the clearance section of Target. Oh, um, that was the best. It's a uh, red spritzer by Barefoot. Yeah. Mm. I think it was like originally like eight dollars. I think, but I am not above shopping the clearance section in the wine, wine oh,
1: aisle. Deals are deals. I'm actually trying Dark Horse today.
0: Oh, really? Do you like it?
1: I do. I'm going with the Sauvignon Blanc. Was that the one that you had before? Yeah, I think so. I like it. It's very fruity.
0: It was really good. I'm so sorry. Um, you
1: could definitely smell the citrus in it.
0: Yeah, I really liked it. I think that's yeah, the, the Sauvignon Blanc is the one. I have the bottle still, so I could check, but that's that requires getting up, and I'm not okay. feeling that right now.
1: It's okay, We can go back and check the Instagram and see.
0: Yeah, <laughs> so and the only reason I'm drinking this one tonight, because I did buy another bottle that I was pretty excited about, actually, um, but this one had a screw top, and given that I was 20 minutes late, I needed easy access. <laughs>
1: tops are awesome. I almost went with the red that I was drinking last week, but I just wasn't in the mood for red. I've I, um, got a bit of a cold that I'm dealing with, and I wanted something a little lighter. But mm-hmm. it's a good thing this one has a lot of citrus um, in it, because that means I'm also getting my vitamin C. So this is like medicine.
0: Exactly. <laughs> just drink more, and, that, and it'll make you feel better. And if you don't feel better, you won't notice that you don't feel better.
1: Exactly. And that's why I was drinking whiskey in my uh, tea last night. I swear it was like half whiskey, half tea. Totally helped with the cold.
0: I'm sure it did. And it probably helped your sleep, too. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Better than Will. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so we are in week two of our March book, which is Good Girls Revolt by Lynn Povich. Um, Lynn has been kind of participating or communicating with us on Twitter, so it's really exciting to, to have our tweets get seen by so many people. I don't usually get that much traffic, so it's so exciting. <laughs> um, and it's, I mean, I have, you know, my, my green crayon to highlight. <laughs> that's what I think you have
1: do a more set of highlighters,
0: girl. Well, I mean, we do have highlighters, but I feel like this paper is the paper that the type of paper that would absorb it and it would like bleed.
1: Um not so bad. Not so bad because I've actually started highlighting some stuff. Oh okay. Um, yeah so no bleeding. You're okay.
0: Because I've even have like sections that are really important. So I have it Highlighted in green crayon and then underlined in red crayon.
1: Wow, you know it's a serious passage. Uh-huh. That's underlined in red crayon.
0: When you have to double crayon a passage, that that's a good one. <laughs> but it's crazy. I mean, it's I can not as far as like this the discrimination and and the uh, boys' club atmosphere that they're working in, but. It's, I think what, what I'm, I, I can really relate to, to these women who, you know, are just out of college and all they want to do is be a reporter, um, <clears throat> but I think the thing that I'm most impre- impressed with by these women so far is that they all have such impressive backgrounds from, from an education standpoint. Like master's degrees and PhDs and Ivy League schools, and they're stuck in a research de- uh, do- uh, stuck at a research desk all day.
1: Well, I can't believe hey. one of the passages where um, I forget which woman it was, she had to go to work. She had to work under a guy who was her equal in education that she went to college with. Mm-hmm. And, or actually and I think she actually had but more experience than he did. But yet he got to be her boss. It's. Yeah. It was ridiculous. And it was. It was I was thinking about, like, the. Um, especially chapter three when it. The hotbed. And mm-hmm. you're, they're discussing all the uh, sexual stuff that went on Newsweek. And my God. Um, <laughs> yeah. It makes. Now, with this fact that there was so much sex in that first. In the series. Um, now I totally get why. Because this place was just ridiculous. I'd, I'm coming from a place where when I was. Between the ages of, like, 19 and almost 21, or almost, yeah, well, I would say 18 to 21, I worked at Disneyland. And when you work at Disneyland, it's a bunch of college kids. And you stick a bunch of horny college kids in together for 30 to 40 hours working weird late night shifts. Crap is going to happen. And, you know, I thought some of the stuff happening behind the scenes at Disneyland was a little racy. This totally puts that to shame. I couldn't believe some of this.
0: Well, it was, I mean, it was the 60s, first of all, but I just couldn't.
1: Clearly, you've never worked Disneyland on a grad
0: night. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not, but, um, yeah, the, I, I remember uh, the passage where she said that one of the writers was sleeping with his researcher and his reporter at, I mean, not at the same time, but at the same time. Yeah. I mean, and especially now, you know, in the workplace, a lot of companies have, like, I'm clearly, you know, sleeping with a coworker in the infirmary wouldn't be accepted regardless. But they have, you know, strict rules about fraternization. Some even, you know, ban it completely and you're not allowed to date co-workers. So looking at things how they are today to how they were back then it's and you know the um the writer who or the editor who brought a grand piano a baby grand piano into his office so he could play music while they waited for the files to come in and then he would just start pouring sherry for his for his researchers and his writers like the whole era. it must have bars, been a lot just of fun. The bars
1: in the in the office. I'm like crap. Mm-hmm. I'm a solo practitioner attorney. And I'm like man. I wish we could do that at our office. Um, there's some days where I—Lord knows—I need a whiskey. Yeah. Um, but then there's other days where it's like, yes, yeah, sometimes the clients need the whiskey. Um, <laughs> but yeah, in in the glorification of. The Mad Men era that we had recently, this is, like, the stark opposite of that, um, where for so long, you know, because of the series Mad Men, we had this glorification of what the world was like in the 60s, and life in the 60s, and it was maybe great for some of these guys, but not necessarily for all of the girls. I mean, I would seriously hate to be sitting at my desk looking down, doing my work, and have some random guy come up and kiss me on the back of the neck that just, even the thought of it, oh, that just <laughs>
0: Ah! <laughs> yeah, it was, I mean, some of the the harassment that went on, the one woman who was stalked by her writer.
1: Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up, because I read that passage, and I got all excited, because I loved uh, Lynn's description of him. And I'll pull it up here, because everybody's got to hear this description. Um, Jack was a a Falstaffian character. His belly seemed to inflate and deflate with the seasons. Hidden behind a desk, stacked with books, in an office piled high with dirty shirts. In parentheses, she goes, he couldn't be bothered with sending them to the laundry. Jack was a polymath who who could write brilliantly on just about anything. Just that first sentence, Jack Mm -hmm. was a Falstaffian character. The Shakespeare nerd in me? went through the roof with like, Oh my God, that is the perfect description. I now picture this pot bellied man with gray hair who's balding, who seems to think that he's younger than what he is. And just has no sense of maturity at all about him. And that perfectly set up that character. Cause as you, I don't know if you remember Falstaff at all,
0: It, you know, vaguely, but I am not the Shakespeare buff out of the two of us.
1: (laughs) Um, Crown Affair, um, Henry V, um, he was, um, Henry's, uh, best bud when Henry was off doing his thing, rebelling from his dad. He was the clown, and that, yeah, that's him. So now, and I, I've got the, um, Tom Hiddleston version of, um, The Hallow Crown Affair, which, Ever girl Thanks I think well. needs to watch Tom and a doublet oh. <laughs> But um The fall stuff that's in that um Production is amazing um, So I'm just I was just so excited about that But yeah man talk about creepy
0: oh, That's just The bad creepy. part about that Is The girl had to go somewhere else She left She, she found another job She had another choice harassed her, stalked her, followed her home to her apartment, hung out outside her apartment watching her. She finally got engaged. And... Finally. It, I mean, finally. I mean, you know, she she met someone and got engaged. And, I mean, she was so nice to this guy. And, you know, and when he proposed to her
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> himself... Her
1: response and, was so composed.
0: And she In- was... So nice and so polite, and you know, and let him down gently, and then she he made her life a living hell, and and she had to leave. Like I, don't, I think that's ridiculous.
1: Yeah, I mean, and then imagine she was nice to him. Imagine if she was a bitch.
0: Well, she she, she would
1: worse.
0: worse. I doubt very much that there would have been a situation where a woman would have handled that differently back then. I, I think the only way she would have handled it differently is if she I don't know agreed to marry him but not, I don't know. <laughs> I mean I even thought
1: I, w- I, would, I wouldn't do that and that was somebody like that. no. Oh, God. Uh, but yeah it's it's eye-opening to see where we've come from, and then to still look to see how far we have to go. Even going back to that prologue, where I at first thought that it was just a an anecdote, but then it was like, no. And then it started getting into what happened with the Daily Show, and I was like, oh wait, no, this actually did happen. Um, not just the Daily Show with, um, oh um, gosh, okay. yeah. That, okay wait this is this story with this first girl actually happened this is ridiculous
0: um, yeah and what I also thought was interesting was that the men didn't even know how to handle the situation the other um, reporter her name was Margaret I think um, who kept getting you know who kept, refuting the advances of this one reporter, Dick something. And he, she just kept ignoring him and ignoring him and ignoring him. And then finally, he just called, he was completely out of line and made really inappropriate comments directed at her. And she went to a, uh, she went to her editor in tears and asked him to do something about it. And her editor didn't even know what to do. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, it kind of really surprised me that, you know, even men who knew that that kind of behavior wasn't right and wasn't acceptable in the workplace, they didn't know how to handle it. And it was just, mm-hmm. well, you know how he gets. And
1: boys, I, I, boys will I, be boys.
0: I don't know what to tell you.
1: That's one of the reasons why the whole boys will be boys argument is so bad and so wrong because it It takes away from, like that. there's that one mom who likes to tell it like it is with those videos and she put it so well that when you say boys will be boys, you're saying that men don't have control of their own actions and you're just letting them slide and making it worse for the guys who do, who can't control their actions, who are gentlemen.
0: Um, was that the truth bomb? Mom. Yes, the She's hysterical. Mom. I love her.
1: Oh, she just came out with a new video about boys will be boys and about rating raising men who will be uh, Respectful and it's so she she does it so well um, But yeah, it, that whole boys will be boys argument is what gets allows people to have this type of behavior Because not all men act that way my husband sure as hell doesn't act that way most of the soldiers that we associated with while he was in the military did not act that way.
0: Um, if I yeah. ever heard my son talking about or to a woman like that, whew, I mean, I don't yell very often. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it would not be a pleasant experience for him.
1: And I'm the kind of girl who gets, um, I get invited to guys' nights. And there was one time where I got invited to go oh. to the Renaissance Fair with everybody one day. And I didn't know that it was Guys Day at the Renaissance Fair. Guys Day happened in the Renaissance Fair. The girls would stay home. The guys would go off. They shouldn't go have their fun. And I didn't know none of my friend, girlfriends were going. And it was just me and all the guys. And I got to hang out with all the guys at the Renaissance Fair. And if you've never been to a Renaissance Fair, It's pretty much no holds bars. You say whatever you want, and it's very raunchy. And I've never been spoken, you know, as disrespectfully as at a Renaissance fair um, as these women were spoken to in Newsweek. And that's at a freaking Renaissance Mm -hmm. fair um, where I've got my boobs on display and shit. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, the behavior is just so just becoming awful.
0: Well, it's yeah, I I'm really enjoying this book. I think the fact that you know it happened, it's not a writer's imagination on what it was like. It's a firsthand account. account of what actually happened. And we're not even at the lawsuit. Like, I'm... Okay, so we were supposed to read up until Chapter 5. I'm a little bit behind. I'm at Chapter Um, 4. Yeah, I'm two pages away from Chapter 5. And they're just now getting to the point where they're starting to organize. They're starting to bring women in to talk about um, filing a lawsuit. And it's just... It makes me, okay, I, I want to go back and watch the series again because as I'm reading, I'm, I'm picking out, okay, so that's who this character was based on. I think I found the, the character that Hunter Parrish's character was based on. <laughs> um, I think, we'll have to ask Lynn if I'm right, but I think Peter <laughs> Goldman is the basis of uh, Doug Rhodes.
1: Okay.
0: And... Um, but I haven't found the other characters yet. I'm, I'm still still looking. See, because
1: the series is more of a historical fiction based on the book. I'm not even I'm not even attempting to compare.
0: Oh, I, I can't help to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, and I'm pretty sure uh, oh, Genevieve Angelson's character, Patty, well, the main character. I'm pretty sure Lynn is the basis for her. But I can see we'll, that. I can totally see that. We'll have to have to double check with Lynn, but mm-hmm. I, I might be willing to put money on that. <laughs> so, but it makes me even matter. The last thing that I'll say, it makes okay. me even matter that there is no second season. I haven't I, of the, of the show.
1: I yeah, I'm still really bitter with Amazon over it because, I mean, it exposes a greater issue with Amazon in and of itself, where Amazon. Their show, their, their shows that they have are very male-centric, um, where women are even the audience. And I mean, I've watched, you and I both watched C, um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: the story of Zelda, and I can't wait to get Teresa here on the show. She's going to be on in April, and I can't wait to talk to her, and I want to talk to her about the book versus the show, because I feel like the show glosses over so much of the book that made that book, made me really feel for Zelda. And made me at the same time really admire Zelda and made her so much more of a feminist icon. I could see why so many people found her to be a feminist icon because of what she went through. And they gloss over so much of it. They gloss over uh, her abortions. Um, Scott talked her into having a couple of abortions before he made it big because they couldn't afford to take care of a kid. And they didn't even touch on that in the show. Um, So I'm just, or they might not be getting to it yet. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But I feel like even though the show is about Zelda, it's still very male dominated, if you know what I mean. I don't know. I don't know if I'm
0: coming across right. We could make an entire episode on Zelda, because um, before that, Show I, had, I really didn't have much an opinion much of an opinion on F. Scott Fitzgerald other than he was a great writer. Um, after watching Zelda, I have a very low opinion. Of and that's F. one of the
1: things Fitzgerald. that frustrates me about the the show. To, divul- to you know, digress here a little bit is that yeah, I had some I have mixed feelings about Scott based on you know based on the book. I had the mixed feelings. But I could grasp their connection and her love for him and why she stayed with him and why they were they were like two sons two really bright sons that got too close to each other and they burned each other up and you you got a really good sense of how Teresa covered that in the 1920s and their relationship as her of, as Zelda as a flapper and their party lavish lifestyle Um and it may just be me, just bitter, because they totally glossed over Zelda jumping in the fountain and causing a ruckus in the fountain in a really great dress. Because that was a really great scene in the book, and that would have been a really great scene in the show. And, yeah, they just glossed over the show, and it was, like, all of those really great parts. that really made the couple a couple. Um, I felt rather really lost. But, you know, moving forward, looking at their other shows that they have, it's, um, well, you've got... Uh, the transgender one, which I can't remember the name of it. Um, I don't remember the name of the show, but there's that. There's, what is it? The Hand of God, Bosch, uh, that lawyer show with Billy Bob Thornton.
0: Oh yeah. I haven't, uh, I haven't really watched. I do not watch any of those. No, I, Good Girls Revolt was the last series, um, mm-hmm. Amazon series okay. that I watched.
1: I watched Zelda. And I watched Oh Zelda. World, Man
0: Sorry. Castle. I'm lying. I watched Zelda, um, um, but I just because it's not that the story doesn't end. I mean, after this lawsuit, after they file the lawsuit, they they sue again.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. You know, af- after this, they go they go back. They regroup. Nothing changes really, and they sue a second time. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that until I started researching it after I started reading the book. And it's a story, I think, that needs to be told and needs to be told in a way that young people, you know, young people in the workforce need to know because they – otherwise it's going to keep happening. Like what yeah. like they were saying in, in the prologue about Jessica Bennett and um, – and the other girl, and I'm very sorry, I'm blanking on her name right now. It was happening again, and they had mm-hmm. no at Newsweek, and they had no idea that women had gone through that and fought to change it. Mm-hmm. So I really wish Amazon hadn't canceled it, and I really hope that someone picks it up because
1: I don't think they are. Unfortunately, I think it's going to go the way of Serenity, where a show was just too good. Um, but I think Amazon seriously missed out. They dropped the ball on it because you look at Hulu's got The Handmaid's Tale coming out. They've got The Mindy Project, which in a lot of ways is a very feminist-driven show. Um, you've got Orange is the New Black on uh, Netflix. Netflix just has a wonderful series um, with strong female leads. And then you've got Amazon, which is like the streaming network for guys really when it comes down for, and not just guys, white dudes. Yes. Uh, because You do not have a black lead in any, a single one of their shows.
0: So Amazon.
1: let's. Amazon, you need to get on it. And if you need to, you can call me. We can have a thorough discussion about it because I sure as hell know I trolled your CEO on Twitter over Good Girls Revolt getting cancelled. <laughs> that was my little stint in being a troll. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, this evening, so I, we apparently switched the lineup around. Usually we do our book discussion at the end of the episode, and then we do our topic of the night first. But, but can we can talk about the book. <laughs> um, yeah, so this evening, now I know Diana's mentioned it a few times um, in the past that you know, you know we're, we both have uh, projects that we're working on as writers. So
1: let's uh, before we move on with that, let's talk a bit, a little bit about the projects that we're both working on. This way, people know where we're coming from. So, Michelle, what's your project? Because you haven't gotten to talk about your project yet.
0: No, I uh, I kind of keep keep my project under wraps. But I'm doing uh, a kind of like a twisted sequel to The Wizard of Oz, um, where. Uh, so, you know, there's <clears throat> Wicked, which told the story of how, you know, the Wicked Witch of the West became the Wicked Witch of the West and all and her life story. And then there's another series out called Dorothy Must Die, um, which is also a, a sequel. It's a trilogy about what happened after Dorothy beat the Wicked Witch of the West. But in that series, Dorothy becomes like an evil dictator, basically an evil dictator and comically
1: um, evil dictator.
0: And the author is Danielle Page, and she has another girl from, from Our World go back there with the intention of killing Dorothy. She has to take out the lion, scarecrow, the team the lion, and the scarecrow. And then she has to kill Dorothy, and the third book I think actually just came out or is about to come out because I've seen um, Facebook posts about it, Um, and it's like a little video. It's the it's a really cute clip about Dorothy. I haven't, like I said, I haven't read the second or uh, second book yet, but the video for the third book shows like the ruby slippers, and it's a body underneath you know a bunch of rubble. So. It's picking up where the second. I'm assuming the second book leaves off, and it's Dorothy talking, and she's like, and she does this whole speech, and at the end she says something like, "Well, bitches, I'm not dead," and I kind of picture her. If you watch Pretty Little Liars, I kind of picture her like, a. (laughs) Yeah. Um. But anyway, but my uh, sequel is about. Ruby, which is Dorothy's great great granddaughter, and she is brought back to Oz um, to kill the Wicked Witch of the West because Dorothy didn't actually kill her unknowingly, it wasn't like an intentional thing, but she didn't know that she didn't really kill her. So that's what I'm working on. I'm maybe I'm quickly realizing that this is going to be. At least a two book series so I think I might be starting to near the end of the first book and I already have ideas for the next book in mind but this is the first book in a very 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 long time that I've stuck with because I've, I've started stories I've started writing them and I just get bored with them and I I can't figure out where I want to go so I think I have like 50 journals Somewhere filled with half-baked ideas, you know, ideas that I started that just didn't take. So the sim- the just the simple fact that I am thirty-five thousand words in is a huge accomplishment for me.
1: That's huge! That's awesome. Uh, and you've got to find that story that you're passionate about because ideas can just come like that. Um, uh-huh but it's a story that you're, you're passionate about that you can pull out that you can really do. So, I mean, I was like you until I found historical fiction where I was just like, yeah, I can start this story. And I never finished an Remo. I always, but I think the most I wrote was like 20, 25,000 words. I was like, yeah, I got nothing more. And that was it. Um, so it wasn't until I discovered um, Anita and Anita's story that I, um, that I really found the passion and the spark to the point where there have been nights, multiple nights, because I'm a nighttime writer, I'm a night owl, and I have fallen asleep while typing because I, while I'm at work, I'll longhand write out um, a chapter or at least a half a chapter, and then I come home and I type that up and make changes based on the notes that I wrote. And I'd be typing, it's like, okay, just, just one more, just one more, just one more, and I'd be and I'd fall asleep and like I'd have the side table light on and my husband would be nudging me wake up go to sleep if you're if you're gonna fall asleep turn off the light uh yeah multiple nights where I'd fall asleep at my laptop just so that I could finish that chapter so that leads into my book I suppose <laughs> which which the official title is uh the woman in red uh, a novel of Anita Garibaldi and um Anita Garibaldi was the wife of uh, Giuseppe Garibaldi the man who actually unified Italy and what most people don't know is that uni- Italy wasn't actually Italy. It was just a peninsula of warring uh, territories and that would fight with everybody or amongst each other like a bunch of spoiled children. And so for t- because he talked about unification and caused trouble, he got exiled to South America <laughs> ordering more wine.
0: No, my, my husband is... Rating the cookies, and I want one.
1: Ah, I want one, too.
0: Thanks. OK, sorry. Uh,
1: <laughs> so he got exiled to South America, where he discovered Anita. Um, and they met, and Anita was already married at the time when they met. She was 18 when they met. She had been married for two years. Her husband had left her, but she was still considered to be married. Um, so I deal with a lot of feminist issues in there. and that story because the story that gets told about her is not the accurate story and i am in the final editing stages i'm actually pitching the book to to agents um i'm going through and periodically making maybe tiny minor changes because i don't want to change too much before you know i get to an editor because i I feel like i'm at the point where i if i'm going to change it anymore i'm probably going to screw it up
0: Something I know internet. that feeling. Right now I kind of uh, I can I, I write in the mornings. I, I can't write at night. So I'll I'll wake up um, before the kids do and I'll write for a couple hours. And there'll be mornings that I know what I'm writing just sucks. Like I can as I'm typing, I'm going, This is awful. I'm not gonna keep any of this. But I, I keep. First of all, I keep telling myself it's the first draft. It's supposed to suck.
1: Just get all your ideas um, down on the paper.
0: And I keep remembering. I have to look up who says it, but there's there's a saying, and I'm going to butcher it. I'm going to paraphrase it. Um, and it goes, you know, you can fix a bad page, but you can't fix a blank page. Mm-hmm. So I tell myself, at least get the gist of it down on paper. And then I have a little notebook that I make notes on after I print it out. Mm -hmm. And so I can go back. I'm really excited to go back and start editing it because I already have about 10 scenes that I want to add that have happened in previous chapters that I've already written where I'll, I'll, you know, notice gaps. Like, oh, I have you know, what what about this?
1: For those situations I'll actually go back and change go back and write those out and expand those out like okay this needs to happen. And I'll spend some time writing that out and, and pulling that out because you know that all ever encompassing um, word limit that you've got to reach, you know for you I, for just a standard novel you've got to get to 75,000 words roughly. Me for historical fiction I got to aim for 100,000 words. So. So, yeah, I'm like, uh, there was a point where I'm, I'm writing, I'm like, crap, I'm at 30,000 words. I'm never getting to my word <laughs> limit. Those were the days where I was emailing Erin going, Erin, who's Lindsay McCabe, has been on the show, going, um, word limits, how important are they? Um, talk to, <laughs> how, how long is your book? <laughs> Please tell me I'm doing okay and I'm, I'm panicking for no reason. And she assured me I was indeed panicking for no reason. <laughs>
0: So this evening, we have decided to talk about the authors that influence, influence us as writers and name the books that you have to read by these authors.
1: It was so funny when I was going through the list, I have down, like I already have the list in my bullet journal, which um, I've got open here. You um, can see, I have my little chart. Authors, no. I love them. The author and then you know, reasons why I love them. And I was looking at it before the show, and I'm like, crap, I didn't write down any of their books. Hmm. But then I was like, wait a minute. I already know their books, the books <laughs> that you need to read. <laughs> so I don't need to write them down. Well,
0: no, are don't you okay. start, since you have your list.
1: Okay, since I have my list. So we'll start with Neil Gaiman, which, when you were talking about um, you can't fix a blank page, he, when it comes to those hard days of writing, he actually said, you know, when you go back and look at that draft, those days that you're like, oh, this is all crap, you're not going to be able to tell the days that are hard from the days that aren't. Because when you're editing it, you're just editing it. You're going to forget those hard, which days were hard and which passages were hard that sucked. So that's his wonderful advice. So if you've never read Neil Gaiman before, um, I strongly suggest I haven't read this series yet, um, the comic series of Sandman Chronicles, I think it is. I haven't read that one yet, but everybody else that I know who's read them loves them. There's going to be a movie about about them now, um, or so I've heard. But the definitive books by Neil Gaiman that you have to read, American Gods, which I want to read that I before
0: think, the series comes uh, out.
1: Series comes out in April, so you got to move on it, Missy.
0: I might not have, that. Might not happen.
1: <laughs> maybe we. Oh, I don't think we can get them on for the show, but maybe we can consider reading it for May.
0: That'd be pretty crazy if we could, though. Maybe. Can you imagine? You would fangirl so hard.
1: I would. I would totally fangirl hard.
0: Um,
1: yeah. American Gods is an amazing story, amazing book, um, amazing concepts in it. I love the way he's able to tell a story. It's listening, reading his books are like being tucked into bed by your parent and having them sit down with a book with you and telling you the story. That's what they. like Um, they're so so amazing Um, just the way he's able to tell a story so American gods followed by um, Ocean at the End of the Lane which was actually the first book of his that I read which that one feels like how do I put it Um, you know those ghost stories you used to tell Tell each other. I don't know if you did it when you were a kid, but you used to sit around and tell each other stories when you were a kid, and they were the like the the ones where it's like, and the guy was about to kiss the woman, and she removed the scarf, and her head fell off. <laughs> I don't know if you remember those kinds of stories.
0: I'm I the only
1: weird one in this relationship.
0: <laughs> no, I I didn't tell them, but I know they existed because I was terrified of everything as a kid.
1: <laughs> this this one was like that. It was like it was it was like a good old fashioned child's horror story, Um, scary story, and it wasn't, I'm not a big terror person, so, but I love the story, it was really great, Um, and then the third one that you absolutely have to read is the Graveyard Book, which I think I might have gotten you to read that one, I don't know if you finished that. I
0: I think so, I I know I started reading, I think it was Ocean at the End of the Line, I think, Um, Actually, I saw that book at, on the bargain table at Barnes and Noble today, and I almost picked it up. Such a great
1: book! You missed out. You seriously missed out. the The Graveyard Book again sounds like this totally depressing book, and though it's a book about death, you know, technically about death and has to deal with death, it's it's a book about life. It's a book about growing up and finding yourself and finding who you are and. It's just a really beautiful story, and I think it's one of his best.
0: He's a very good writer. I've um, neverwhere was, I think, the first book that I read by him. Um, and his world building is out of it's crazy that he, mm-hmm. that he that he can create other worlds. Um, I, I know I definitely and I did start reading American Gods, but I didn't get the chance to finish it before I had to bring it back to the library. So um, but it, might it was have a to
1: consider for a future episode. We might have to give it a try.
0: <laughs> Maybe he would like to join Wine Women Words and talk about his book. That would be pretty crazy.
1: I know. He does sometimes. He does like to do books. He um, does like book clubs. So you know, you never know. <laughs> I'm already fangirling at the thought. Um, but yeah, the way his, his um, work has influenced my writing is that uh, the way he's able to set up and tell the story, as I mentioned, you know, my opening line for Anita is, um, bad omens have followed me all my life. I was born in an unlucky time, in an unlucky month under an unlucky moon, and that's where I, you know, mine starts, where it's like, I kind of try to draw on the essence of it. Okay, so your next, author.
0: Well, my... All right, so I I noticed as I was making this list, um, it's very specific to my story because I've noticed that depending on the type of writing I'm doing, I emulate different authors uh, or I I draw on different authors for inspiration. But as far as world building, because this was the first time I've ever tried my hand at anything – Fantasy esque, like you know, in the past, all of, all of my stories they've been set in this world, you know, in real cities, mainly, you know, either in California or in Manhattan or wherever. But they've been in this world. I've never had to build a world, and trying to build Oz, uh, which is one of the most iconic worlds mm-hmm. in literature. <clears throat> it's really intimidating and to try to put um, like my own spin on it and to to make it you know reminiscent enough of, of the original Oz that L. Frank Baum created, but make it unique and make it my own. It was really hard. And that is one of the things that I have to go back and when I'm editing and build on. Um, so that was that's kind of one of the biggest challenges that I'm facing right now. But as far as world building, when I was thinking about it, um, Maria V. Snyder, she is the author of the Poison Study series.
1: Yes, I love that series.
0: And she built, and the premise of it is um, this woman, this girl – Well, uh, she she must be like 18, 19, maybe early 20s. Mm -hmm. Um, She is in jail about to be executed. And since she is the next person in line to be executed, she automatically gets offered the job of being the food taster for the king of this other world. Um, to test it for poisons to make sure that no one tries to poison the king or the commander, he's called. So, you know, she's, she's in this world of magic and wizards and witches. And Maria um, Snyder builds this world that is it's so believable. Mm-hmm. And it's close enough to our reality, I feel like, that it doesn't feel – too fantasy-ish, but it's just different enough to that you're constantly aware of okay this you know this isn't a real place but I really when I, I found myself trying to remember her style of writing while I was trying to build Oz because it's it's a really intimidating task to to build a world from scratch, you know. I, I don't know if I would deliberately to choose to do it again, especially when-
1: Historical fiction, I'm still world building, because I'm having yeah. to create uh, Rio Grande do Sol in the 1800s, mm-hmm. um, where I don't have anything really to go on other than people's accounts and Google image searches, which really aren't that great. I just look up the landscape, and I have to try to describe that. So you're having, I'm having to do world building, too. So every author has to do a certain world building to a certain extent, Um, so nobody gets away with it. So no matter what book you do, Michelle, after Mm -hmm. this one, you're going to have to build another world. So learn to like it. Learn to express express that (laughs) imagination.
0: Sorry, I know I'm fidgeting a lot tonight. I don't know why I'm so fidgety, but I can't sit oh, still.
1: Me too. I've got like the attention span of a nap.
0: So your next author.
1: I My next author, well, I am going to go with um, John Steinbeck. as one of my, uh, I know, I'm pulling out all the crazy uh, classics here. Um, when I was... First starting to write, and when I first started to write, seriously, I was crap. I was total and complete crap. Um, and I let my dad read some of the stuff, and he was not afraid to tell me I was total and complete crap. Leave it to a parent, at least my dad, uh, to give you a full and honest opinion of your work. Which, mind you, when I did my first actual reading of Anita, he was crying afterwards. And he's like, tears are coming out of he's like, I'm not crying just because of your dad. He's like, I'm crying because it's just that good. Uh, so if I could win him over with my writing, I know I've got at least a shot of getting published. So, you know, there's that. Um, <laughs> but when I was crap, he was like, you know, what you need to do is you need to read the Pulitzers for better or for worse. Um, there's a reason why these authors got named as Pulitzer winners. Um, because their writing is so above what, anybody else does that you learn so much and these i think all of the authors i've read about almost half of the list maybe a little bit over half um and with his it's just you know i learned so much from these authors there's they've been such great teachers and john steinbeck's um the grapes of wrath really really spoke to me um it it's so gritty and it's so real and it and it's a his, fairly his, not really historical fiction i mean it's historical fiction for us at this time because you're looking at it's set in the 19 during the 1930s during the great depression in america which for him wasn't really it was fairly current because it was only like 10 years afterwards that he wrote this story if that uh, possibly, you know somewhere around there but it's so gritty and it's so real and I, I'm actually one of the. I'm not a big movie remake person, but I'm actually looking forward to the remake of it because the original, because of the censors and at the time, they could not be as gritty and as real as they can be now. And this des- movie, that book deserves to be made remade into another movie. So I'm really looking forward to that. And he's got this way of being able to just take a sentence and just make anything into like this beautiful. Um, beautiful way of just writing another book is cannery row which i'm crazy y'all because this a couple nanoremos ago i actually wrote another book i've got a second book that i've been working on about um a family caught up in the internment in monterey it's called we are america and what a lot of people don't know is that along with the japanese um several thousand italians and germans were um were put in encampments and we're actually going to be reading War Spies and Bobby Socks actually deals with the encampments of the Germans um, in the Midwest. <clears throat> and that one's coming up in August, I believe it is.
0: I think, yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. So, um, I was reading Cannery Row, and the way he described the cat, this way this cat moved. It wasn't just the cat walking down the street. The cat melted down from step to step. And it's like, just that command of being able to visualize how this cat moved is just so above where my writing was at the time, so I I try to keep his um, writing in mind. And another one, I was looking up his name because I always get it wrong because he's another Pulitzer. Um, He wrote The Brief and Wondrous Life of Oscar. and I tried to get him for Boku de Oro, too. And he actually responded to me, and I totally fangirled. I was like, oh, my God, he responded Bye. to me via email saying that he can't come. <laughs> um, the Brief and Wondrous Life of Oscar Waba, um, Hino Diaz. Um, he is, Hino is a phenomenal writer. And um, The Brief and Wonderful Life, um, Wondrous Life of Oscar uh, Waba wow, just takes this, this kid from New York City who is adult really when it comes down to it in so many ways, and how he ends up back in the Dominican Republic and it comes to him being adult pretty much bites him in the ass. And I I like you know he influences me for the um, for what to write because you know I have a very ethnic style book. Both of my books are very ethnic in their origins with whether it's Italian or. Um, or uh, Brazilian and so I've got to actually infuse that culture and he does that so wonderfully in his stories. So those are my two Pulitzers that I'm going to point out. Your turn, Michelle.
0: Well, as far as dialogue, um, I've you know, you when you're writing dialogue, you want to and I, I remember advice that one of my journalism teacher professors told me when you're writing when you're writing journalistically you know never use a quote if there's an, another way that you can say it better yourself or only use a quote if there isn't a, a way that you can write it better yourself so that's kind of the approach that i take for writing dialogue where if i as the you know the narrator of the story if i can describe or if i can tell this, this you know, the section better as the narrator, then the dialogue isn't necessary. So that's something that I keep in mind. And one author that I feel writes really relatable dialogue and characters that you can totally, at least I can completely relate to, in one way or another, is Emily Giffen. Um, And I just love the way that she writes dialogue and the way that she has characters interact with each other. Um, and the fact that I can relate to at least one character in every single one of her books, it's creepy almost how her books have kind of followed, I mean not you know, not followed my life, but at each point in my life there has been an Emily Giffen character that I'm like, oh my gosh, that's me. Mm-hmm. um or you it's know like not, the last not day mes- of your life not necessarily yeah. that's me but i can like but i can relate to her there's um her second to last book was oh gosh why can't I remember the uh, one and only and um it's about this woman who wants to be a writer she wants to be a journalist but she works for the um the the public relations department of a, a university football uh, department, sports department. Um, and she, she wants to be a reporter. She's just never really had the courage to, to try to make it as a, a writer. And she starts dating a, a, the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. Now, I am not dating the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys, but I am so married. He
1: probably to- wishes he is. <laughs> i was
0: stoked (laughs) if he was but I am married to a diehard cowboys fan and I do want to be a journalist and that is my dream so you know even though the story arch of the character her name was Shay has nothing to do with what's happening in my life that was a character I could relate to and um, she just she just writes dialogue in a way that you can see like two friends having this conversation and you can You can see yourself having this conversation with your best friend So whenever I write dialogue and even if it's inner dialogue from for the main character just thinking to herself I always try to You know to think of how you know well. How would Emily Giffen write this? so um, that's another author and then As far as references that I kind of like pull from for this particular story, I mean, I mentioned um, them earlier. Uh, Wicked was by Gregory Maguire. And even though they're completely different storylines, I mean, in Wicked, the Wicked Witch of the West wasn't actually the bad guy. She was just very misunderstood. She was rebelling against a system that was broken and no one else saw it but her. Um, And then, you know, Dorothy must die. Danielle page. It's, I don't want to read them now. I'm, and I'm even staying away from the series on ABC. I think the Emerald city. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not reading or watching them right now because I don't want them to influence my storyline but they were they're all really great influences as far as resources to draw on for um for inspiration i mean these people they've taken they've got the same idea as me they've got the same idea of taking a classic story and turning it and making it their own and they did it right because they got published and they you know, Wicked is huge, and I still haven't mm-hmm. seen the musical, and I hate myself that I haven't seen the musical. Um, i the musical, and I would just, I would just love to see it. And um, I do know all the song, I do know all the songs though. Oh, that's
1: and, like
0: Hamilton. <laughs> um, and Dorothy must die. I still want to read the last two, but now I'll probably wait until after I'm done writing because I don't want. I mean, you know, I don't want it to influence me too much, but they're great resources to, to pull from, for inspiration. That that they kind of went down that road before me. So those are my other two, other three, I guess.
1: Um, my next one. I'm surprised you haven't mentioned her. Um, it's Diana Gabaldon.
0: Well, yeah.
1: For Outlander series, which I think the her very first book, Outlander, is the one that needs to be read um, from hers because. I have her on there because she has such a great detail to history. And as a historical fiction author, I need to have that grasp of history so much. Um, I need to know everything that's going on. Like, I was watching the Victoria um, show that was on PBS. And Ryan was like, oh, I find that boring. It's, you know, it's Queen Victoria. It's already been done. And I was like, yes, but it's a different version. I'm interested in her because I need to know the world events of the 19th century. Mm -hmm. What happened, you know, what else was going on in the world around my characters? And I need to know every little detail of the history. I might not put in every little detail that I found, but I need to know it because I need, it's what shapes my characters. And when you do historical fiction, you actually, when when you have you miss that detail and you can you can smudge some dates here and there move some things up to help move your story along and i know you know some authors have done it. i think Erin's done it with a few of her battles in the civil war book um and i shall be near to you and you can get away with some of that but if you don't know some of the basic history stuff that just kind of it ruins it for everything else and it's a big issue like I was actually having problems this week with C.W. Gortner, who's the next person on my list, who is also a big influence on my writing. But I was actually listening to uh, The Confessions of Catherine de' Medici. And he was referring to Italy and referring to them as being Italians and them being Italy. And that's a huge no-no for the history of Italy. It wasn't until the 1800s that you actually had an ethnicity of Italian. Uh, up until that language, Italian was just, or up until that time, Italian was just a language. It wasn't an actual ethnicity. So you didn't say I was an Italian or I'm from Italy. And, you know, like one of the characters said, I know you'd rather be back in Italy with your own people. That was incorrect. It, was, it should have been, I'm sure you'd rather be back in Tuscany with your own people.
0: That mm-hmm. would have been
1: correct. And so, so stuff like that, um, you've got to get right. And Diana, she gets, she gets it all right every little bit. Even when uh, people had issues with Claire being beaten in one of the scenes where she gets whipped, Diana was able to pull out. She's like, well, here's the evidence that this stuff happened, uh-huh. you know? Yeah. you don't agree with it. And yeah, I don't agree with it myself, but it happened. This is part of it. So, I mean, that's one of the reasons why she's an influence. And then speaking of CW, He's an influence because he's got a really good handle on um, being able to write a woman's story. Um, You know, from the first person, similar to what I'm doing with Anita, he's able to really get in there and get into that mindset and talk about those characters' issues. Outside of that whole Italy thing with Catherine de' Medici, I absolutely love the story and really felt for Catherine through all of it. Uh, for him, I would recommend um, Marlene and the Mademoiselle Chanel. Those are the two that I recommend from him.
0: And I do have your copy of Marlene, and I can totally mail it back to you.
1: <laughs> That's okay. You should, you should read it since you've it.
0: I'll, I'll get to it. I promise.
1: I just might have to pick it for a month.
0: I'll it yeah. from the library that we could do that too.
1: Because that's what we do when you, to, what I have to do sometimes if I have to make you read a book.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, to make me read it in a timely fashion. That This is probably the quickest way to do it. Otherwise, I I just, it takes me, I have such little reading time that it takes mm-hmm. me like a month to read a book. And I've been branching out and reading two books at a time. Mm-hmm which is crazy because I never do that.
1: I'm currently on, I'm currently at two books at a time right now. Um, if you want my good reads, I, I'll show like four or five, um, but I've got this book and then I also have technically the Irish Tempest. I just finished the Tumbling Turner sisters this week, which a, a review will be up on the blog this week too. Um, but i am got to start the Irish Tempest this week and I'm listening to Catherine de Medici, and I'm also reading the, um, I'm uh, still reading Madame de Chanel. So that's still on my ebook read too. So I've got no. like four technically going on three technically going on right now, I guess. That's a lot. I don't know. There's just a lot of books. If I'm not writing, I'm reading. That's really what it comes down to.
0: Yeah, I have my my two, maybe three hours in the morning to write and and I read if the kids happen to be either playing. And entertaining themselves, or if they happen to be sleeping, which there's never a guarantee.
1: Not with those kids. So.
0: No. Not with kids
1: in That's why I also have a Kindle uh, connected to my phone. So if I want to go sneak away and read, I can totally do that, and it looks like I'm just an average person just playing with a phone, but really I'm reading a book.
0: Yeah, I so really you have any
1: more influences.
0: You know, for for this one, I mean, uh, there are a lot of authors that influence me. But when I was making my list, I I like I said, I noticed that I was being very specific to the story. So those are the main ones. I mean, besides you know, L. Frank Baum, who wrote <laughs> *The Wizard of Oz*. You know, he's a huge influence. Um, I almost feel like there was a a made for TV movie starring. Um, Oh, gosh. What was his name? He passed away a few years ago. Um, the actor in Three's Company and... Um,
1: oh, Jonathan Ritter.
0: Yes. Um, he was um, L. Frank Baum, and it was the story of his life and how he wrote The Wizard of Oz. And I'm not sure how much of the story is accurate, like how, you know, how much is the actual truth of it or... And how much was, you know, the... I would
1: love to see that.
0: It's so good. And I remember watching that. when We we taped it on VHS. That's how old this movie is. I wonder if we
1: and, can get it on, like, Amazon or something.
0: Um, my aunt... We we still had the tape, but the tape wasn't working that well anymore. Mm-hmm. And my so aunt... I'm looking yes.
1: to see if we can actually get it. <laughs> so go ahead, my aunt me.
0: transferred it onto a DVD for us. And it's hysterical watching it now because... It was on TV, and it has all the commercials from like the early 1990s. (laughs) Um, But anyway, but the story of how he created Oz was just as interesting as the the book or the series itself. And, you know, he came up with Oz by looking at a file cabinet. And, you know, the drawers you have – You know, A through E. That you know, the drawers are labeled A to E, and then F to M, and then O to Z. And he just was looking. He would tell these stories to his little boy. um, About uh, first, it was a little boy who went to a, a magic land, and he would tell these stories to his boy, and then his boy's friends all wanted to hear about it. And then finally, one of the kids asked him, you know, what? what's the name of the Magic Land? You always say Magic Land, but does it have a name? So he looked over at this filing cabinet and saw O to Z, and he said Oz, and that's how what where Oz came from. Oh,
1: wow. And Amazon doesn't look like they have it, unfortunately.
0: And, you know, I have to, I have to see if I can make another copy of the DVD that I have, because it's so what's good. What's the name of it? Um... I think it's the L. Frank Baum story.
1: Okay. okay.
0: I mean, I know it's something like, you know, The Man of Oz, the L. Frank Baum story.
1: Hmm. Yeah, Amazon doesn't have it.
0: Well, that's disappointing. I it's know. A At least good. we have it on
1: DVD. Because, I mean, there have been some really freaky versions. Oh, no, I'm thinking of another series. There's a fr- some freaky versions of Alice in Wonderland, too.
0: The Dreamer of Oz, that's what it Dreamer is. Dreamer of Oz, okay. And Annette O'Toole plays um, his wife, Maud, and she was kind of like his his inspiration for Glenda. And um, his mother-in-law was the inspiration for The Wicked Witch. And it's, it's just a really good movie. But... Um, They have
1: it in audio CD, but they don't have it in the TV version.
0: I have Hmm. to see if I can find it and make a copy for you.
1: You Yeah. Or tell me where I can buy
0: it. So you can also enjoy the hysterical commercials from 1990. They're almost as good. Watching the commercials is almost as good as watching the movie. Love it. Uh, Love it. But... That's that's all for me, really, for my list. Did you have any others?
1: I um, actually have Scott Fitzgerald on the list.
0: Oh, even though we hate him.
1: <laughs> you okay? You hate him. I I think you need to wait for the book to put your final judgment on on it because okay. I I hate. I feel bad for him. He was. Um, I think he was a creature of his own environment as much as she was, and I think as an author those big dreams and everything. I can totally relate to him. In those regards, um like you're always similar to some of his thought processes like oh my god, that that could be me or my gosh, I thought something very similar. Um but he's got an excellent modern way of telling a story. Um and I think a lot of people consider him like the father of modern literature. Um so Great Gatsby, absolute must read of one of his his best story of all time. Which, even though, yeah, interestingly, was not welcomed when he was, um, when he wrote it at Bond. Really? After, yeah, it wasn't until after his death that people actually um, re- gave it the props that it deserves. The other story of his is a short story, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Which, there was that movie with Brad Pitt. Mm-hmm. And this short story is, is so amazingly and cleverly done where the guy's born the child's born and he's born as an old man and as he as he ages his he actually decreases in age so like when he's 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 an infant he's technically an old man and he acts like an old man he wants to do the things that old men want to do like he wants to sit on the porch and talk with his grandfather and you know when he's actually in his 40s He's in, he looks like he's in his 20s, so he goes to college. He tries to fit in with the other 20-year-olds. He actually gets that youth and vigor where he wants to go out and party, where as his wife, who's in her, like, 40s or 50s, wants to now stay home and not do that. And it's really intimate, and it's really heartbreaking. And that's really, um, I, I looked at my list as a general list and scott's stories have um really affected my short stories that i've written because every the way he does a short story is so brilliant and so well done that every sentence has to have a purpose and yeah with the curious case of benjamin button it that's absolutely the case every sentence has a purpose and it's so intimate and so you're you're right there with him and his thoughts and everything
0: i i guess i i don't think i read The Great Gatsby in high school, but I've never gone back and read um, any of his books. But they're on the list. Uh, I'll get there eventually. Uh,
1: I tried reading The um, Beautiful and the Damned, and I didn't really care for that one. Um, But his short stories I absolutely love. Going back, knowing what I know about Scott and Zelda now makes The Great Gatsby even richer.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm sure.
1: And it, there's so much of Zelda in there, and there's so much of him in there, too. Um, in both the well, and so much of like Ernest Hemingway, too. Mm-hmm. I, I really see, um, so much of that time is in there, so it's such a great story. So that's all I've got.
0: Well, I believe
1: that I believe we've reached our hour, yeah.
0: Um, Next week we are doing chapters five through seven, I believe, or six through seven because you're supposed to read through chapter five th- for this but
1: week. But let's face it, we're going to be late, so and behind. So let's do five through. Try five through seven and see how far we get.
0: And um, we actually have changed the day for when Lynn is coming on. Um, originally, it was um, Monday, the twenty seventh. Um, but she had a scheduling conflict. So we've moved it up a day um, to Sunday the twenty sixth. Um, same time, eight PM Pacific time, uh, or um, no, I'm sorry, slightly different time. Seven PM Pacific time, nine PM my time, and ten PM Lynn's time. So you know, if we're doing it on
1: a Sunday, we can do it if we can do it earlier if it's on a Sunday. If she wants yeah, to
0: I'll talk to her about that. But yeah. um, Mara, at the very least, mark your calendar for Sunday, the 26th, instead. And uh-huh. if the time changes, we'll, of course, let you guys know. Um, so keep reading and mm-hmm. come back next week for more.
1: Yes, thank you. And now you can go back to sleep, Michelle.
0: Thanks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> You're welcome. Good night. night everyone.